You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz with Mankir and And we're talking about how the richest 1% are responsible for the same amount of carbon pollution as the 5 billion people who make up the poorest 66% in the world. This is a new report from Oxfam presented this alarming finding ahead of the UN Climate Summit in Dubai. We are speaking to Dr. Zafar Adil, Professor of Professional Practice, School of Sustainable Engineering at SFU. Dr. Adil, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Monkey, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Now, let's talk about this report coming from Oxfam, right? Like I mentioned, the richest 1% are responsible for the same amount of carbon pollution as the 5 billion people who make up the poorest 66% in the world. What do you think of this finding? Well, I think in some ways it's not um, new information. I think we've kind of known already that uh, how much carbon emissions you put out are dependent on your lifestyle. And those of us uh, who are fortunate enough to be living in developed countries and have a very um, carbon-expensive lifestyle, uh, you know, we, we kind of have known this all along, that we are uh, emitting much more greenhouse gases. And the, the sort of the consequence of that is that we should also be then responsible uh, proportionately for fixing the problem. And according to Oxfam, they were saying that the root of the problem is where the 1% invest their money. And where does that tend to be? Well, um, if you look at the uh, sort of the global distribution of uh, of wealth and uh, which industry or which sectors command uh, a a lot of the investment, uh, you would see that a lot of the uh, petroleum-based industries, uh, you know, the, the big oil, so to speak, uh, does command a fairly significant portion portion of uh, of the uh, investments, and similarly, when you start to look at uh, other major industries which are uh, consuming uh, fossil fuels, so transportation in particular, uh, shipping industry, uh, you know, air travel, etc., all of those start to add up, and, and so that's kind of the fossil fuels end up being sort of the common theme that runs runs across these sectors uh, that that cause a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions. And, and I think therein lies also part of the solution, which is to try and uh, improve the emissions, try to reduce the, uh, the usage of uh, and reliance on fossil fuels, and look at more uh, like a better mix of renewables in this whole energy equation. One of the solutions that I thought was fascinating coming from Oxfam is they're calling on governments to fairly tax the richest 1% to help curb both climate change and inequality. And Dr. Adil, in the work that you've been doing, has this been a discussion, you know, around this kind of a policy in dealing with the issue of climate change? Well, I mean, if you look at the Canadian uh, federal level approach, uh, the carbon tax is... um, Sort of meant to be something like a taxation system like that. Although the the issue there is that it basically taxes equally at all levels of income. So anytime you're using a fossil fuel, you're taxed equally. So uh, the the question is, how do you uh, to uh, you know to change uh, that that taxation system? And the answer is not very easy. I think uh, at the end of the day, what might create a bigger impact is uh, sort of a change in behavior and change in mindset uh, for where our investment should go, uh, what kind of innovations should we be uh, leaning more towards, 
and what we individually as consumers can do. So it's not all on governments and what governments should or should not do. We have actually enormous power as consumers, and we can actually drive change in one direction or the other. It's really interesting that you put it that way, too, like especially as consumers. Like, what does that look like? Give us an example of how people can approach this. Well, uh, I, I think uh, there has been um, sort of a strong bent towards uh, consumerism in the sense that you are, uh, uh, you know, disposing of electronics, disposing of uh, household equipment, furniture, clothes. And so there's been a market change uh, over the last, I would say, uh, 20 to 30 years where, uh, you know, uh, when a piece of equipment broke down in your household, you would go and fix it. These days, you would just chuck it and get a new one. So, so I think, again, um, being uh, being cognizant of uh, what does that mean? So, uh, you know, how much uh, of uh, uh, mining process has gone into getting the materials to produce a product that we are using? Uh, you know, that sense of awareness can can change and make us think twice about whether we should, uh, you know, go out and buy the latest gadget and gizmo or whether we look at the functionality and what is needed and, and uh, you know, try to make work with uh, what we already have. So it's a, um, it's a change in uh, uh, consumption behavior, which is not easy to, to bring, but I think the more we talk about these issues, uh, you know, there, there's a better chance that people will start uh, paying heed to you know, changing their, their consumption patterns. Mm. And of course, this conversation is happening because the UN Climate Change Conference, COP28, is happening in Dubai. So, of course, that's why Oxfam released this report. What do you think are going to be some of the main issues at this year's summit? So I think there's two big uh, aspects which are probably going to dominate many of the conversations. One is that uh, there is now... Uh, a realization that we are heading towards a something like a 2.9 degrees uh, Celsius increase by the end of the century, and that's a little bit a bit more than what we were uh, we were thinking we would get, and it's certainly a lot more than the 1.5 degrees Celsius average change uh, compared to the pre-industrial period, which is what we were hoping that we could hold the line at 1.5, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. Uh, so that's going to be, uh, you know, a major point of conversation that now that we know that we're exceeding our uh, our objectives, uh, sorry, not meeting our objectives, so how what can we do to change uh, the, the emissions that are being put out and where have we gone wrong? The other big uh, conversation issue is going to be the loss and damage fund. And this was a fund that was set up last year uh, when... Uh, the COP met in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, and they basically said, okay, we'll create this fund, and uh, this will be used to compensate any countries that have a major impact of, uh, as a result of climate change. And the driver partly for this fund was the impact uh, because of the major flooding in Pakistan last year, uh, which uh, led to about 1,700 people dying, 30 million people being displaced, uh, so it was a major uh, disaster, and Pakistani government at the time said they don't have the capacity to, to cope with this, and there's no national mechan- international mechanism to respond to those kinds of disasters. 
So the loss and damage fund is meant to be an international mechanism uh, to, to respond to that. But what has happened in the last year is that uh, we're still stuck in uh, working out some of the details on questions like, should the World Bank be monitoring this fund should uh, or, or managing this fund, or should it be another organization? Should it be a standalone organization? How do we mobilize enough funds to go into it? So I think those are the two uh, big issues that I see uh, dominating many of the conversations, the loss and damage fund and the uh, projections of uh, exceeding 2.9 degrees Celsius by the end of this century. And Dr. Deal, do you think, especially ever since this Oxfam report released, do you think climate inequality will also be a big part of the conversation at COP28? I think it has been there for, for a long time. And uh, so, it's like I said, it's not something uh, terribly new or surprising. We've, we've known it. Uh, I, I think it presents the case uh, in a bit more stark way, but we, we've always known that those who are uh, causing climate change uh, are also impacted, but those who are not really contributing much are impacted in a very significant way. Uh, and that was part of the argument for having that loss and damage fund. Uh, so I, I think uh, the, th- this kind of uh, focus on inequality certainly uh, will be there. It has been there. Um, wh- whether it will change um, any of the substantive discussions, I think it's a bit too early to tell. Dr. Adil, as always, appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? Well, I think uh, one point that I've mentioned in our previous conversations as well is that uh, tied to that first uh, projection of uh, where we are headed and that we are going to see extreme uh, weather impacts around the world, uh, I think there is a need for us to build resilience uh, in at every level of society in every country in the world. Uh, and that's where I think um, we should pay a lot more attention, how resilient we are. So when we are impacted by a major event, so for example, the uh, the major flooding we had here in uh, Lower Mainland uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, are we now better off to cope with uh, such an event, uh, this atmospheric river event, if it happens again? And we know it will. So that's where we should look at Uh, and focus our attention in ensuring that we are prepared and we are resilient as a a society to to meet those challenges. Mm -hmm. Thanks again. You take care. Thank you very much, Mankiran.